In the studio with us today is recording artist and author Denise Haas. She's also known, a.k.a. as Big D. In her book, Just Hold On, Denise transparently shares how her parents' divorce turned her personal world upside down. She was 13 years old and was shattered by how her home was broken by her parents' choices. Now, she not only thought about suicide, but attempted to take her own life more than once. Hi, I'm Dr. Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I want to encourage you to visit our website, markinc.org, where you can access, access many more stories like Denise's. Now, one of our series, especially for teens and young adults, uh, has a lot of profound topics we deal with. Each one is especially designed to help teens and young adults navigate many of the challenges of living in this fallen and broken world as a teenager. Now, my wife, Sharon, is also with me here in the studio. Sharon, how about taking a moment to introduce our listeners to Denise? Yeah, thanks, Chuck. It's really kind of interesting the way that I met Denise. I was speaking at an event and a woman told me that I needed to get Denise's book because her story was just really profound. And so that's how I first got to know Denise, was through her book, Just Hold On. And the the byline of that, the second line of that title is Finding Hope in the Face of Suicide. And as I read it, I knew that there were people whose lives would probably be saved by what they read in this book. And I especially was thinking about teenagers and how critical it is for us to get this message to teenagers to just hold on, especially when they are tempted to give into suicidal thoughts. But also her book gives help and hope to the people who love those teens as well. So Denise, first I want to welcome you. I'm really glad you're here with us for this interview. In the first few pages of your book, Just Hold On, you don't pull any punches. You go right to the heart of your topic with these words. I don't have a degree in psychology, and I won't pretend to know everything there is to know about suicide, but I will tell you that I've experienced it on a very personal level. Much of my teenage years were filled with contemplating suicide, which resulted in several attempts to take my own life. That is a pretty powerful statement that grabbed my attention because you face down one of the most devastating enemies of teenagers, and you're here to tell the tale. So this conversation that we're going to have with you is mainly for young people and to offer them another option to taking their own lives when life comes crashing down. So why don't we start with you telling us about those teen years and why they were so difficult? I, I, think, I think it really did start at my parents' divorce. My birth mother, she was an alcoholic, and so she left when I was three. Which my, my dad got custody of the three of us kids. I have two older, I have a sister and a brother older than I am. They're twins. And so in the seventies, early seventies, my dad got custody because she was really, you know, really bad. And then he married again. And so my stepmother became my birth mother. She really did. And and so since I was the youngest, I, I was home longer and I uh, was probably about five years old when we, we started to, uh, you know, when she came into the house and stuff. And, and so she raised me. And when I hit, you know, 12, 13 years old and, and my dad decided he fell out of love with her, I didn't understand that at all. And then the next thing I knew, she was gone and my stability was gone too. You know, that was just, that was devastating to a point where I didn't realize how devastating it was. 
And so at that point, it started an avalanche into my soul, really. And so I didn't know what was up and what was down. Then we moved to another city because there was another woman involved now. So we moved to a new house, new city, new school. In the new school, uh, I was what they call bullied today. I was made fun of because of my hair. And um, I had naturally curly hair. I still do. But and and back then, you know, there was a, a certain style in style, which was Dorothy Hamill style. All right. So when that's naturally curly hair, you can't you have to keep it long so it can hold it down. It needs weight to hold it down. And so I didn't have that. I had, well, it was before my stepmother, before she left, I actually got this Dorothy Hamill cut and it made my hair look like Bozo. So going into a new school and they made fun of me and it's just like, I didn't want to wake up, you know, every day, uh, this is seventh grade. I just, you know, this is the, this grade, the middle school is where I understand it most you know, um, because this is where it started for me. And this is where it starts for a lot of people. And I just didn't want to get up in the morning, let alone go to school. So I made a decision after months of this, and even months seems like forever when you're a teenager, I just, I made a decision and I had been singing already with my stepmother. She had gotten me a few gigs when I was younger. And um, so I was, I was already in that, that groove, but when she left, it was it was all over for me. My singing career was done. And, and so, but I thought, you know what, I I made a decision. I'm either going to be a a famous singer or I'm going to kill myself. This is what I concluded. The the only two options I gave myself is the only thing I could see. And so I went on for, you know, the next few years, I actually spent from, from 13 to 18 in a, in a state of, of perpetual suicidal, thought of course it got worse in the middle there and and certainly the worst at the end you know the more you entertain something <laughs> the, the more you dance I call it a dance with suicide and and once you, you you're in charge at first it's you know it's an idea and and I can say honestly at the beginning uh, of this dance I was just wanting to get attention I just wanted I don't know it's kind of hard to explain what kind of attention I was looking for uh, through this, but just any kind, I guess. And, and I lost my stability. And so maybe I was just looking for some stable attention or something. But what, what happened was I was just lost and dancing with this idea. And the more I danced, the stronger it got. And the stronger it got, the more it took the lead. And by the end of it, I didn't have control. So another thing happened too that that is in my book um, because it's really honest. It's simple. It's um, you know I'm just being honest in there, and it's just like talking to me when you read it. And I just I felt like um, before the divorce, even though I had a rough beginning, it was kind of healed with that that stepmother. She was very good. She just she really knew how, she already raised three kids, and she was you know just able to do this and she did it well motherhood and uh and what i had before the divorce was confidence i didn't realize i had that until i lost it and then at, after 13 or whatever after she left i had no confidence left and um so insecurity was born on that day that added a lot to really my self image and who i was and and with all the other voices telling me i was ugly and i was you know all these other things what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do with that? I have nowhere else to go. So, you know, I'm caught by the title of your book, which is just hold on. I'm caught personally by it because I sign all of my letters in his grip. 
And uh, when we lost our 16-year-old son, Mark, it wasn't me holding on to him. It was him holding on to me. Uh, and, and that's why I, I refer, to, refer to my own personal life as being held in his grip. Why did you name your book, Just Hold On? What's the significance behind that? Well, I, I guess it's, it's just that, you know, life changes. It always changes. I wouldn't know this, and I didn't know this back when I was a teenager, because I didn't have enough experience. I didn't know that the ebb and flow of it's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad. It'll get good, it'll get, you know what I mean? These things, that the ebb and flow of life, it just, it, it doesn't always stay the same. And so I didn't realize that. And, and so with this, this title, I'm encouraging, trying to encourage people to, to hold on because it will get better. Life changes. There's just no other way. There's no other way around it. If you look at anything, anything that if we just give up, if, if we give up, like, I don't know, the, the guy that did uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, that guy, right? Failure after failure after failure after failure after failure in his life and his business. And by the time he was, what, in his 60s, <laughs> he says, what am I really good at? I'm good at cooking chicken. You know, what if he hadn't held on? We wouldn't have Kentucky Fried Chicken today, right? And that's good stuff. So there's, there's just a, a principle, that an over, overarching principle that, that we need to hold on because life is going to change. It's going to get better. When you were a teenager, 13 years old, you said 13 to 18 roughly was when you were dancing with suicide. If someone had told you, just hold on when you were 13, what would your reaction have been? Why should I? There's nothing better for me. That's what, that's what I thought at the time. And, and, and I, and I understand that. And that's why in the book, there's a note to self uh, where I talk to my 49 year old self talks to my 13 year old self and says, look, you have a future. I'm telling you, this is your future self telling you now you got to hold on so that you can experience and realize that there is life. There is life after your teenage years. <laughs> it does get better. It will change. That's a perfect segue into my question, Denise, and, and some thinking about that teenager who, as you said, is dancing with suicide, um, is contemplating that that's the only option that he or she has. Maybe she's tried or he's tried, they failed, but that now they're planning their next move. Why should this teenager not take his or her own life? There are five really good reasons that I give in that book. The first one is collateral damage. Suicide kills. And not just the one who takes their own life. One of the reasons that I didn't succeed, and I wasn't really trying too hard at the beginning, like I said, I was trying to get attention. I was kind of dancing. I was leading the dance, you know, 13, 14 years old. I lived with my grandmother. And I'll, I'll tell you what, one of the biggest problems to my success in suicide was I didn't want to ruin her life because she would blame herself. And who wouldn't and who doesn't? It's just, it's not possible for humans not to blame ourselves when something like this happens. And it's, it's, the wor it's gotta be the worst feeling in the world. I've never lost anyone to suicide, okay? But, but I, I, I know people and I've interviewed people who have. And it's, it ruins your life. And if you can't, there's like, you can't get past it. You can't get over it. You can't, you know, you just have to get through it. And, and it changes the, the course of the living their life. So one of the things that we need to think about is the collateral damage. Okay. So, so maybe you want to hurt somebody. I'll show them. They won't treat me like this. I'll show them. But what's going to happen is all those people that you're going to hurt without meaning to hurt. 
you know, your little three-year-old or four or five-year-old sister, seven, maybe take it, nine-year-old sister, brother, uh, they're watching this and they're going to be part of the collateral damage. Now, this idea of taking your own life when things get to be really bad or whatever, now that becomes an idea that they start to entertain. I don't think that anybody wants that to happen. It's worth exploring these reasons. And that's a really good reason not to take your own life is the collateral damage that you will cause as a result. So that's the first one. I think, I think you said the second one is there are worse things than dying. What is worse than dying? Right. Well, there's stories in the book and there's stories all over the place where people have attempted suicide and have failed. And I know personally in the place that I live right now, it's a very small town. There's, there's like three, three cities here, but they're really small. A guy a few years ago, he, he um, shot himself and he's been going through painful surgeries ever since to reconstruct his face. For a long time, he couldn't even, he could only drink from a straw. And they had to do a surgery to open, to, to reconstruct his jaw and, and stuff. So, yeah. And then there's other people that, you know, have jumped off of bridges and they've lived. Just because you try doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And your, your second, you know, situation before you tried might be worse than your first. And so it's, it's not the smart thing to, to try this because the, the, um, the worst thing could, could happen. And what about number three, you are worth it and you matter? You know, just to say those words, you know, you're worth it, you're, you're valuable and things, that's, that's good. But there is a reason behind that, that is, it's unchangeable. So, so if, we, if we go to the store and we buy, you know, a bicycle or something, um, there's, a, there's a creator to that bicycle. And, um, and that creator that made that bicycle, you know, has, has put value on that it was worth enough for that creator to make it. But the thing is, there's a creator involved here. And, um, and he says that we are made in his image and we are valuable just because of that. Just because we're made in God's image makes us valuable, makes us worth it and makes us matter because, you know, God doesn't make no junk. And so if you want to know the other reasons why suicide is not a good idea, you can get Denise's book, Just Hold On. And I am giving the PDF, if somebody wants that, or the digital book. I, so on my website, you can actually do, do a Kindle, or and it's also in the other, other format. There's a Kindle in the other one, um, the Apple. You can, you can just download it to your phone. It's a free book. It's this book. It's free. On, so it's not on Amazon. It's just a, I have the, the rights to, the, to these digital books. And so... I'm just giving them away. And so I just want people to get, I mean, they got to give me their email address, I guess. So, but other than that, I'm giving this book away on my website, justholdonbook.com. What are some of the choices that people affected by suicide can make, like a family member, to break that chain, you know, to, to put into their own life protections? For instance, you think about the young person who says, both of my parents were alcoholics, I don't want to be an alcoholic, and therefore I'm not going to imbibe, I'm not going to drink. So when you're experiencing, when you've experienced the loss of a loved one through suicide, what, what would be some of the ways that you would say to a teenager, okay, these are some of the things that you need to do as a teenager to um, help keep you on a safe pathway? Yeah, I think, I think some of this stuff is pretty simple too. It's like um, sometimes we just need some sleep. 
Okay. There, I know that sounds simplistic, but um, sleep, water, and good nutrition, while very boring subjects, are very needed in our lives, in our bodies. Our bodies need sleep. Our bodies need water. I mean, we're, we're made up of a lot of water. Much of us is water. And so we need to replenish that. A lot of the, uh, the signs of depression are, you know, also signs of dehydration. Can't think right, I need water. Um, you know, or poor nutrition, you know, protein and things like that. Not only living on coffee. You know, you can't do that and expect to be okay. You know, you're going you're gonna to slip into some, some kind of mental issue just from those things. So those are just basic things. And, but, we always, but a lot of times in this society especially, we skip over that stuff. Skip over nutrition. Ah, it doesn't matter. It's a mental disease. Well, it's not. It's not always. A lot of times it's just a simple fix. Sometimes maybe these things, they, they pile on each other too and, and cause this, you know, this, this horrible feeling in us and there's also physical pain and prescription drugs and um i i interviewed um one mother of a, of a guy who took his life um that you know he was a normal regular guy no problems no mental problems no history you know he got in an accident car accident and the next thing he knew he was a drug addict and so he went to the pharmacy and he held up the pharmacist because his doctor wouldn't give him any more it's a regular guy. He's a regular guy. And so, so now he's, now he's, he held up the pharmacist, got the, got the drugs and, and apologized. The pharmacist said, I've never been held up by anyone so nice. He was polite. He was like, I don't want to be doing this, but he was desperate. And so he went and he just knew that he was in big trouble and he just couldn't, his mind wasn't right because of the prescription drugs. And so he shot himself. Um, that's incredibly sad. So prescription drugs, being addicted to drugs, illegal drugs, you know, the cycle of addiction, people are just they're lost. They're like, also, you know, traumatic experiences. You're a child and, and horrible things have happened to you. What's your response to that? Well, as a child, you, there, we have barriers and walls and, and, and defense mechanisms that kick in, but later on they could come out, you know, and, and why am I depressed? Well, it's not maybe mysterious. Maybe there's something in your past that, that you need to deal with. And so also what we're listening to when I was a teenager and I was going through all this, you know what I fed in my mind, I fed bad music. I fed, um, you know, horrible music, depressing music. What are you going to get? If you feed yourself depressing music, you're going to get more depressed. So it's what we listen to. It's what we feed ourselves. It's, it's the things we're lacking. And so there's, there's a lot of reasons that we could be in the situation of depression. When we were struggling with the loss of our son, Mark, there were people ahead of us in that journey. And uh, those people were very helpful to us because they looked back and uh, we were able to look ahead at them and secure from them the hope that uh, we're, going to, we're going to get through this. I want you to speak to that teenager who is contemplating suicide. And I want you to do so from the perspective of one who's ahead of them. Maybe go back into your own thought processes. Maybe go back into what was going through your mind when you were a teenager that led up to you actually attempting to take your life. Speak to that teenager who's out there right now listening to this, maybe thinking to themselves, <clears throat> Life is just foolish and I need to just end it. So I want to say that I want to tell you that you're not alone. 
and you've never been alone. A lot of people have struggled with the same thing, including me. And I was really close to uh, taking my own life. And, but there were a couple things that stopped me from making a real attempt. One was I didn't want to hurt people around me. I don't want them to think it was their fault. And that is one of the worst things we can do to a person. You know, I know that sometimes you can think that, well, I'll just do everyone a favor and take my own life. It's, it's, I'm just a burden. Let me tell you, that's a lie. That's one of the biggest lies ever made. You are not a burden and you matter. And when you, if you took your life, not only would you not know that you matter, but other people would be so affected by you and the loss of you that they would never get over it. Some people will never get over this. It's not, you're not a burden. And uh, I can say that the only thing that saved me was calling out to Jesus to save me. He is our creator and he knows uh, the instructions to us. He knows us from the inside out and he knows how you feel. He knows exactly how you feel. I can tell you how I feel and, and everyone can say what they think, but only he knows how you really feel. In fact, he knows why you feel the way you do. And he wants to help you sort that out. And if you will call on him, like I called on him, and my prayer wasn't some fancy schmancy thing, like, um, like I'm some theologian or anything. I didn't know who God was. All I said was, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. And that was, that was at the very end of my, my struggle with suicide. And, and so if you're at that point where you just absolutely have nowhere else to go, and maybe you've tried before and you've failed at suicide and, and, and the lie again is, is that, you know, you can't win, you can't succeed. You're, you're just failure all over the place, but that failure is actually success. Because if you can call out to Jesus, he will fix what's broken in you and you will never be the same. And I am a testimony to that. And I can tell you that I had a future waiting for me. Now I've lived that future, some of it, not all of it, because I'm still alive, but there's a lot more to your life than today. And there's actually people that will exist because you, you hang on, because you decide to stay, because you decide to, to keep up right here in the land of the living. There will be other people who exist because of you. I personally got married. I have two sons. One of my sons now has a son. So I'm a grandmother. You know, if I wasn't here, they wouldn't exist, right? So there's a future. And, and I know you can't see it. And I know, I know how that feels. I just, there's absolutely, I, I totally understand that. But I'm here to tell you from the future that you have a future and you have a hope. But you got to call out to Jesus because he's the only one that can fix what's broken from the inside out. Denise, I really appreciate your transparency. And uh, one thing that you didn't mention is that you're also a musician and you write music and thousands of people have been touched by the message of hope that you have in your music because you speak so clearly to the heart of listeners and they know that you know where they are. You've been there in so many different ways. Speak to that teenager whose friend has has successfully taken their own life. How, how can that brokenhearted young person face each day and find purpose? 
You have to hold on. Time isn't the, won't fix everything, but time is, is, is helpful in the healing process. And it's devastating right now, but time will, will help uh, ease that pain. It won't take it away, but it will help to ease the pain. I want to say also that it's not your fault. And if you had said something, if you hadn't said something, if you had written a note, if you had called, if you had texted, if you had Facebook messaged, if, if you'd done something, none of that, none of that matters in the death of your friend. None of it. Not one bit of it. We need to do well. We need to pay attention to people and treat them right. But it's not our fault if they die. You mentioned earlier in this interview uh, dancing in a culture of suicide. At what point for you did you break out of that culture? And was there one thing in particular that uh, kind of forced you out of that culture? Well, I think that at the end of my my journey in this from 13 to 18, um, toward the end of my 18th year, I didn't care about hurting anyone else anymore because I had been dancing with it so long that it took over and it was leading the dance and it was out to destroy me. I had attempted several times before that, but this time I, it didn't matter anymore. I, I, I just really, I really made a serious attempt. Three nights in a row, I did this. I was also doing cocaine and drinking heavily at the time, living with a, a man and, um, it just that, and it didn't matter. I, I didn't have any hope at all. I, just, I was, I was taken over. And so I went to sleep one night after those three attempts and I had a dream and this form of a man said, you have one week to live. Now I had been told the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ when I was um, 14 years old, but I, and I, I said this prayer, but I didn't really believe it. And and so what I went on, but that was a seed. And, and at this point, I interpreted the dream as being God telling me, you have one week to live and I'm never going to try to get your soul again. You won't be, this is my interpretation. You won't be able to get saved ever again. You will, you may live on the earth. You may not die physically, but when you do die, you're not, you're going to go to hell and you won't have any, any other chance. And so um, I got drunk for three days over that because I thought I had seven days. And on the fourth day, I don't know why, but I think I went to sleep, not drunk. Before I went to sleep, it was February 13th. And I said, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. And I woke up the next day, never the same. 31 years later, I sit here today more, more enthusiastic about life than, I, than I've ever been. And it just gets better and better for me. I, I believe and I know and I've seen and I've experienced that Jesus is the way out of that culture, is the way out of that mindset, is the way out, because it's not just a physical thing, it's not just a mental thing, it's a spiritual thing, and we're in a battle, and, and if people you know, would understand that and, and quit discounting the spiritual end of it, then we might make some progress. We have a spiritual enemy, we have a spiritual creator, we have a creator who loves us. The enemy hates us, God loves us, and he wants us to, to be saved, and when we take that step, nothing is the same. How I cope today in, in life is, is that I, it's the word of God. It's the, uh, it's prayer. Um, the cure for anxiety is this right here. Ready? The cure for anxiety found in, in Philippians 4. Uh, it says, um, well, this is my take on it, is if it's a care, it's a prayer. 
And that right there has changed really the way I look at everything. Because if it, if it rises to the, to, to the point of being a care, then I just make it a prayer. Like, I don't have to complain about stuff. I don't have to be worried about stuff. I don't have to be afraid of anything. I just, if it's a care, it's a prayer. It changes everything for me. And also the word of God. We, I do a lot of Bible studies and Bible studying. I'm, I'm a worship leader at, at the church, at my church. And, and I think all, all of that too, you know, because I'm, I'm constantly singing songs to the Lord. I'm constantly, you know, in, enveloped in this, in this, this culture of life. I continue to get stronger. I continue to not just cope, but I'm living and I'm living an abundant life. And, and that's, that's really the, the, the message that I, I would want to get across even more than, even more than making it through <laughs> what's happened to me now. You know, am I, am I happy? Yes. Because that's the thing that was always eluding me when I was younger. Will I ever be happy? Yes, I will be. And not just happy because of happenstance or the, the circumstance, but happy because I'm not inside. I'm happy inside. I'm whole inside. I got confidence, you know, inside is the Lord. And also the, the scripture that, that I go to is it in lamentations, of course, the weeping prophet, you know, if there's maybe a more lamenting book in the Bible, it would be lamentations, but um, 321, this I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope that indeed the Lord's loving kindness has never ceased. Right. But his mercies are new every morning. Denise, we at Mark Inc. Ministries are trying to create a platform where people can share their stories as a means to call back to those coming behind them. Uh, For instance, in our own lives, where people called back after we lost our son and encouraged us to keep walking by faith. And they shared us, uh, they gave us hope just by their own lives. And we know that's what you're doing with this conversation that we're having and with the book that you've written. And, And for the listeners, we know that Denise's story is her story, just like our story is our story. We're not in any way trying to say that everything that Denise says or that we say is exactly the right thing for someone else to do. But we're hoping that you will hear something in Denise's story or one of our other resources that will help you in your own personal journey. It might not be everything, but if there's just one takeaway from our resources, then, then we will have achieved our goal. You know, it's interesting that the, the one book of the Bible that speaks to sorrow more than any other book is the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually called the weeping prophet because he lived in a culture of death. He lived in a culture of failure. He lived in a culture where the people of God had forgotten who they were, actually had become the enemies of God, people God loved greatly, but people who had fallen so deep in sin, so deep in their own self-pity, that Jeremiah spent the majority of his life roaming around, sometimes with uh, mourning clothes on, M-O-U-R-N, mourning clothes, uh, and weeping for the people of Israel. And in the middle of all of that sorrow, in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, There is a passage that I believe ought to give anyone who's listening to this hope. Hope that no matter how deep, no matter how painful your life has become, no matter how sorrowful you are, no matter what culture of death or dancing with suicide uh, you find yourself involved with, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope and a future. Is that what you're looking for? Hope and a future. You've been listening to a recording of one who has been there, one who has walked where you are walking right now in that culture of suicide. She refers to it as dancing with suicide, but I look again at that passage where God says, I have a plan for you, and that plan is to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and to give you a future. You must come to faith in Christ if you are going to realize that future. We exist here at Mark Inc. Ministries to help you understand what that good news is all about. And we would be more than happy to talk with you about this, more than happy to show you how you can get a hold of Denise's book, Just Hold On, and maybe to take this particular resource and make it personal for you. So visit us at markinc.org. There's contact information there. If we can help you to understand more of the hope and the plan and the future that God has for you, that's why we're here. That's why we exist. Denise, I want to thank you for your willingness to come on and tell with such transparency your story. I know it's been hard uh, opening up those scars, opening up those wounds, but your willingness to do so because of that teenager that's listening to this. Uh, I want to commend you for it. I want to thank you for it. And if we can be of help to you, visit us at markinc.org or give us a call at 877-MARK-INC. Thanks for listening. To God be the glory. Have a great day.